Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we have got a lot to talk about here uh, on this week's episode of Journey to the Draft. And, and really, it starts with some outstanding matchups to get through in college football. Before we get there, though, I really was really happy to welcome back to the show Assistant Director of Player Personnel here with the Eagles, Ian Cunningham, for our Scout Story segment. Really enjoying having this segment into the fold here, where we've done it over the last few weeks. We catch up with an Eagles a scout or personnel man to talk about an, a current Eagles player when they were coming out of college, and maybe just some overall big-picture takeaways that we can apply moving forward to each of our own processes when trying to project these players. So this week, Ian Cunningham joins the show to talk about Eagles defensive back Jalen Mills, and We'll talk all about that at the top of the show in Scout Stories. After that, we'll get to this weekend's action here in, scout, in Saturday Scouting. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler. We'll get all of our reactions from uh, more Big Ten, more SEC. lot to talk about here this week with Saturday Scouting. Then we're going to go on the clock with Chris McPherson. He's back to, uh, for another debate here. He's going to moderate another debate between Ben, Dane, and I. Excited for this week's conversation. Then we'll wrap it up with a question from you guys at home with our draft mailbag. As always, the best way to throw us your support, and you guys have been great with it so far, but really want to help uh, you know, really promote this even more. The more that you guys are able to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us comments, rate the show. If you leave a question, we'll answer it here, but just the act of doing that as more and more fans around the NFL are becoming more and more interested in the NFL draft process because we're getting later in the season, fan bases are starting to steer their eyes towards the spring. The more you guys are able to do that, our hardcore listeners, if you go on, you leave that rating, you leave that comment, we're going to make ourselves available for more listeners, more subscribers, and it just helps this show stay afloat. So really appreciate everybody that has gone on and done that. Again, just go on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, leave a rating, leave a comment. Really the best way to help us out. Really appreciate everybody that has done that already. That being said, let's get to the top of the show. It's time for Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, happy to be joined this week by Eagles Assistant Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham. And Ian, thanks so much for joining us, man, to talk about uh, Eagles defensive back Jalen Mills. And I say defensive back because obviously he's played a number of different roles throughout the course of his career here uh, with the Eagles. Interested to get your thoughts on him when you scouted him during his time at LSU. Hey, friend. You know, it's interesting enough. He had the same type of career at LSU as well. If you don't, if you remember his first few years, he played corner at LSU and then moved to safety as a as a senior. And then as a senior, uh, he was hurt for about five games that year with, I believe, a broken leg. So the evaluation process with him coming out, he kind of had to uh, pick and choose what he wanted to watch. He had to watch him at safety as a senior. He had to watch him at corner. Uh, it was a little bit unfair to him just to watch him at safety as a senior because he would, like I said, he was banged up. Um, but that versatility you loved, uh, you loved his competitiveness. Uh, they spoke glowingly about him as a, as a competitor uh, in, on practice field. You see him in games, the same types of uh, things that we see at Novacare on a day-in, day-out basis. He did in Baton Rouge as well. So uh, his career at LSU was very similar to what it's been here for us uh, in Philadelphia. Talk to me about his senior ball. I feel like if I, if I remember right, he played corner uh, at the senior yep. ball, right? Or, so like when you see that and he's like, all right, you, you saw the three years uh, at corner early in his career. He makes that transition to safety. He spent some time in the inside as well. And then he goes to the senior ball and gets back at corner. Does that help you in, the, in terms of like the evaluation? Say like, all right, like he could still play on the, on the perimeter against some of the best, uh, you know, his peers coming out in the senior class. No doubt. It does help, especially uh, at the senior bowl because he's playing against the best of the best. And granted, he's playing against the best of the best probably in practice right. at LSU, right? So, But just to see him at, at corner at the senior bowl, he had arguably one of the better weeks that week uh, in Mobile. He's, he picked off uh, several class passes in, in every practice. He sat on routes. He saw the competitiveness, the same things in which you saw at practice at LSU that competitive spirit, that toughness you saw in the practice field in Mobile as well. And I'm sure there were a lot of scouts trying to go back and, and change a couple of their reports because he was arguably the best in show that week down in Mobile. And then the last question about Jalen was, uh, you know, when you look at it, just kind of bringing this big picture, 
for fans, you know, they're, they're looking at it maybe for their team or maybe they're looking at it for all 32 teams. When you have a, a player with that level of versatility in the secondary, especially in today's league, you know, with the positionless football, how do you, as a fan on the outside, how hard is it to try and say, like, project what this guy can be? Because all 32 teams may look at him in different ways. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, it is positionless football now, and you kind of grade him for what he can do and what you believe he can do, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what he can do on the football field, what you see him, how it's going to transfer over to our level. I think really would like a player like Jalen is that versatility to be able to play safety, be able to play corner, be able to play nickel or, or star, whatever position it may be. That versatility is huge, especially with our defense and several defenses in the NFL. So having a player like that, uh, is, is great to have on your side. Well, Ian, thanks so much for joining us this week to talk about Jalen Mills. Again, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again soon, man. You as well. So a couple of big takeaways there from our chat with Ian. You know, number one, um, the importance of events like the Senior Bowl and, and what guys can do to help themselves at these All-Star games. We talked about last week, you know, the big news uh, with the East-West Shrine Bowl, unfortunately, canceling the 2021 game due to COVID-19. And that's going to have a big impact on, on a lot of players. And the Eagles have had uh, a lot of success finding players uh, at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Most recently, uh, Avante Maddox was a guy uh, that had gone down there. Hopefully the Senior Bowl, and it seems like all signs are pointing to them being able to get that event off the ground here in a couple of months, but uh, you know, the, the Senior Bowl is just so, so important. It really, what it does, as Ian said, you're looking at a player that now it's, a, it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison, right? Because it's not just you're seeing them uh, you know, going up against the best of the best on their schedule, but now they're going up against all their peers, all the other top seniors and draft-eligible upperclassmen in the class, right? So I think when you see those players shine in that forum, in that arena, you know, we've seen guys like you know, Brandon Graham was another great example, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago with Anthony Patch. What BG did down in Mobile back in 2010 really helped himself going into the pre-draft process and it shows hey like this guy has what it takes to to you know handle uh the top level competition that he's going to be able to see that absolutely helps and then also not only that in terms of like performance but also you get to see all right well who are the guys um you know maybe they you can answer some questions you know Jalen Mills was one of those guys was hey he played safety late late in his career with LSU but you know, maybe can can he play corner? And you know, I think when he went to the he went to the Senior Bowl, showed yeah, like he, he can play corner against the other big receivers in this class. I think that gave the Eagles some a little bit more confidence that yeah, early in his career he can play corner, and he ended up winning a Super Bowl as a starting corner uh, with this Eagles defense. So I think when you look uh, at those scenarios, that certainly helps. I can know, I can tell you right now, a lot of teams, a lot of decision makers, scouts, they are looking for who are the guys that go down to those events and compete because it's all it's a lot about competition. So uh, you know, obviously. A lot of guys will bow out for injury or you know for one reason or another. But seeing the guys that go down and compete every single day, that improve from day one to day four, that obviously has a, a big uh, you know swing uh, as well for these guys. So if you see a guy come out, have some early struggles as he gets his feet wet a little bit, and then day two, day three gets better and better, that always will weigh heavily on the minds of decision makers as well as they move through the pre-draft process. So the Senior Bowl very very important. And then the other big thing, just the the, the last topic we hit on there. The, the decision about positionless players. And, you know, we talk about this all the time. And I, it's funny, I just retweeted a, 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 a promotional tweet we did last year, right around this time, about Isaiah Simmons from when he was at Clemson. And we talk about this a lot when it comes to these quote-unquote positionless players. And because it is a part of today's game. There's, there's no debating that. You need guys that can do lots of different things on defense. If you're going to have a level of success, if you're going to match up to what most offenses are going to give you right now in terms of all the different versatile, versatile pieces that they've got at running back, receiver, and at tight end – well, you need guys that can match that on the defensive side. So whether it's a cornerback linebacker, uh, a nickel safety, a uh, you know all the different, obviously along the trenches, the defensive end, defensive tackles. So all these guys that can do different things are very, very important. That being said, all 32 teams are going to view that that player very different, you know. So I think when you look at uh, you know the, the examples that I brought up, Isaiah Simmons, you look at Miles Jack, uh, Jabril Peppers, who's now with the Giants. I mean, he was a good example of that. Certainly last year, Kyle Duggar, Jeremy Chin, all these guys, you know, all 32 teams. Some teams might look at it and say, yeah, this guy would fit great for us as a pure free safety. We're not going to ask him to do anything else. Some people say, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask him to play. You look at Jeremy Chin in Carolina. He's going to play off the edge. He's going to play as a stacked linebacker. We might play him at safety. We might have him match up out wide. He'll play a little bit in the slot. You might see him as a guy that can be that versatile chess piece. You might see a guy as a pure box player. 
all the, all teams, all schemes are going to view him differently. So for all of you that are listening at home that like to project players, just remember that as you're watching these players coming out of college, that just because you see them one way, keep in mind how they might be seen differently by other teams and other schemes. So uh, I think that's an important part of the process just to keep in mind is that all 32 teams have the potential to look at guys a little bit differently. And that's uh, not just the defensive positionless players. That's uh, you know running backs and receivers. You look at like Antonio Gibson coming out last year. Some teams saw him as a back. Some teams saw him as a receiver. Offensive line. Some people might say, oh, this guy's a center. This guy's a left tackle. This guy's a right guard only. Oh, he can play all three interior line spots. Everybody's going to see all these players differently. And it's what makes this process so, so fun. So great stuff there uh, from Ian Cunningham. Hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this segment again. I think this was our fourth or fifth one. Hope you guys have enjoyed that here on a weekly basis now on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Now, let's get into this week's action here. It's time to welcome in Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. Let's get into some Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, well, like I said, let's talk about this past week's action. And before we get into the biggest games and the biggest standouts, we want to get to uh, some of the big news as I welcome in Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. Guys, look, I would say that there is no bigger news than the news that rocked the college football world late last week, right after it was literally the night that we posted the last episode of the week. And that was the news that Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID-19. He did not play against Boston College, will not play this weekend against Notre Dame. So obviously uh, that matchup, I don't want to say loses a little bit of the luster because it makes the game, I would say, even a little bit more intriguing. We'll see what happens. But uh, before we talk about you know the rest of Clemson, because we were going to talk about uh, that game a little bit later in the show, Dane, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on what this means for the college football playoff picture. And do you kind of view uh, you know this as – how is the committee going to view this if Clemson does lose to Notre Dame on Saturday? Yeah, and I think, first of all, we have to point out it's a pretty big if because the way that DJ played, and that, that's yeah. all I'm, I'm not going to try his last name. It's just DJ. Uh, I got his covered for later. I got his covered. Okay, okay. The freshman quarterback, uh, you know, the way he played against BC, Clemson looks like they're in decent hands moving forward. But if they were to lose, things will really get interesting. It would put Notre Dame in the driver's seat in the ACC and set up a potential rematch uh, between the two teams in the ACC championship game uh, in December. So, the committee has said before that they take injuries into account when they rank these teams and have discussions. So a loss to Notre Dame doesn't really knock Clemson out of contention uh, because, you know, we assume they would treat Lawrence's absence as, you know, just the same as if he had a sprained ankle and couldn't play in that game. So mm-hmm. uh, if Notre Dame and Clemson finish their seasons, both one loss and the one loss being to each other, good chance the ACC could be uh, could get two teams in, uh, presumably with Alabama and Ohio State. So we still have a lot of football left to play. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens this Saturday, but uh, a Notre Dame win would definitely shake things up. And that's the thing is that I feel like if Notre Dame wins Saturday and then they do have that rematch later in the season, the ACC title game, Trevor Lawrence plays, Trevor Lawrence wins, even if the right. if that playoff spot is in the balance, I feel like it would be Clemson that would get the nod as they would have the later win and the win with Trevor Lawrence. Either of you guys have any takeaways from the uh, Clemson Boston College game from over the weekend? I do. I'm gonna. We're gonna. I actually have a couple of players that I want to talk about, and we'll talk about it a, a little bit here on the show. I don't want to give away too too much. Um, okay. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about some of those guys. Uh, but to me, um, the other big thing, and look, obviously, look, this goes without saying. We really, obviously, we all hope that Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, it gets better soon. Hopefully, he, apparently he said the um, the symptoms are mild so far. Hopefully, it stays that way, uh, and hopefully he can return to the, return to action here soon. Um, you know, well, we all hope that there is no long lasting effects uh, with Trevor or anybody else uh, that's uh, you know COVID nineteen positive. So um, huge news, you know, and talking about it, it was funny. You know, I was texting with Ben on Thursday night as that news came out, and uh, one of the things we talked about was, you know, I kind of wondered was. Does this open the door for other players who are maybe on the fence that maybe they thought about opting out or maybe that now that uh, a few games have been played, they put some tape on out there for NFL teams to be able to watch and uh, the season hasn't gone as well for their own respective teams. Maybe now they feel comfortable saying, look, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, just, I mean, the best player in college football, like, you know, Superman in, in, in college football just got COVID. Maybe I ought to like, you know, kind of take the safe route. 
I don't want to say that's exactly what Paris Ford, the safety from Pitt, is doing, but I think it kind of opens that door and kind of lets lets those guys make that decision a little bit easier and they can sleep a little bit better at night. Guys, interested to get your thoughts. Paris Ford, the talented safety from Pitt, uh, announcing earlier this week that uh, now he will declare for the 2021 NFL Draft and uh, opt out for the rest of the 2020 season. Ben, I know you've watched Paris Ford. Could you give us a, a quick scouting report uh, on what he brings to the table? Yeah, he's uh, you know a two-year starter for the Pitt Panthers, and they've obviously taken some lumps in their season this year. So I think as they've really removed themselves from contention, it's guys are making some business decisions, for lack of better words. So uh, Pitt has a lot of NFL prospects on the team. Paris Ford, Damar Hamlin, Jalen Twyman already opted out. Patrick Jones II, Rashad Weaver, defensive ends, highly touted as well. Be interested to see if they join some of these upperclassmen with uh, – sitting out the rest of the season. But Paris Ford is more of a box safety spark plug, r- runs the alley really well. He's got really good burst speed. He's a fearless player. Put up a couple clips two weeks ago against Notre Dame, short yardage, jumping over the pile, really selling out, really type of a uh, guy that will throw his body around, can beat up some tight ends and slot receivers with that physicality. But really interesting box safety with a lot of experience. So I think I've seen enough on tape of this kid that, uh, you know, moving forward the rest of the 2020 season, if he wants to sit out, uh, you know, I wish him luck. Ben, is it fair for me to say, because I, I, I have not done him yet, but just from the, the profile that I've gotten from, uh, from talking to you and others, is he like a Bob Sanders type of player, like an undersized safety who just gets after you coming downhill? Honestly, he reminds me a lot of Jalen Mills. Really? Very similar body type in that they're very wiry. They look skinny, but they pack a punch and they play very physical. Um, I know Jalen was a little bit of a corner safety hybrid at LSU, came over and really didn't have a true position in the NFL to start his career. And Ford Uh, started his career corner, didn't he? Correct. Yeah. So that's why I kind of see that similar trajectory there. And um, I think that's a good type of visual for, for Eagles fans and ones that certainly know Jalen Mills, you know, it had his ups and downs on the outside, but one thing, that, you know, everybody believes in Jalen Mills, physical, physical player, good in run support, good blitzer. And that's why his transition to safety has been pretty seamless. Makes sense. Uh, Dane, any takeaways there on Paris Ford? Well, I'm with Ben where I I think I've seen enough where, you know, if he wants to do that, he can. But that's not necessarily a good thing because, (laughs) uh, I don't know, I I was not impressed really at all. I, I liked his physical appetite, but, I mean, when he has a runway to the ball carrier, he looks like an All American. But every other time, it's a roller coaster. I mean, there were plays where I, I flagged him. One was last year against Virginia Tech, and another one was this year earlier in the season. He had multiple missed tackles on the same play. And, and it's just he's that type of player because he, he there's ankle-biting attempts. He'll slide off uh, the ball carrier. Um, there's times in coverage where he's just flat-footed and, and the, the tight end will beat him uh, just out of his breaks. I, I don't know. He's a highly aggressive player. The tackling technique needs matured. Discipline needs to be improved. I, I see a guy that kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, another pit safety, uh, Jordan Whitehead, who, mm. you know, you, you love the physical appetite, but he'll make a lot of mental mistakes and, you know, he'll do enough just to, you know, uh, be stay around and, you know, have a, a spot on a roster. But I don't know. The mistakes are just too much. And so I don't – I am not a, much of a Paris Ford fan. But, you know, I, I was hoping you'd be able to change my mind the rest of the year, but it sounds like we're not going to get that chance. I don't want to spend too much time on this question, but I want to get your guys' thoughts. Do you think that uh, – obviously, this year it's ex- extenuating circumstances, and you understand uh, all these guys that, that are opting out because of COVID-19. Fully, fully understand and not taking away anything away from that decision. I do wonder, moving forward after, you know, knock on wood, after uh, COVID-19, after there are vaccines and everybody's in the clear – do you think that this will be some, uh, somewhat of a new norm in college football where uh, much like the, the guys that opt out of bowl games, that we'll see guys opt out of their final seasons and not play? Because it's always been kind of like talked about, oh, this guy never needs to play another down after his true sophomore year. Well, now we're seeing that and we're going to see what happens with those guys if they still get drafted. I feel like once that precedent is set, I wonder how that will impact uh, the 2022, the 2023, the 2024 NFL draft and beyond. It's interesting because, uh, you know, there's, you know, a guy like Nico Collins, uh, Michigan, he really could have used this year to help himself, especially in another loaded wide receiver class. He decides to opt out. I mean, you just wonder what kind of advice these guys are getting. And so, I, I mean, I do think it's possible where we'll see some 
some guys opt out and some will probably be understandable decisions. You know, guys like Jamar Chase, other decisions will be very, you know, head scratching decisions like a Nico Collins who, you know, probably just have the wrong people chirping in their ear. So it's, it's something that unfortunately we'll probably see a little bit more of, but after, you know, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen for a guy like Nico Collins, but if he, it does not, turn out to be successful then you know maybe it's something where uh you know we see teams well it didn't work out for him so maybe i shouldn't do that you know in a collective conversation we're drafting players with smaller bodies of work so there's more guessing more projecting and more you know kind of relying on potential this reminds me kind of the conversation that the nba went through when they were taking kids out of high school less body of work obviously high variance of success once they get to the nba because you didn't see them against that higher level of competition. Everybody looks good against these high school kids. I think you're just going to have that much greater of a bust factor when yeah. they get to the NFL. You may be reaching on a guy or you may be drafting a Trey Lance off of 17 games as a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. He thinks he's done enough to go to the NFL. He's being touted. And then there's just that little bit of, you know, gray area and, you know, launching him to the next level and whether he's ready and whether you were able to make a full, <clears throat> excuse me, assessment on what he's shown as a young player. Uh, yeah, I, I just think it'll be interesting to see how that's handled moving forward uh, with a lot of the big name guys. And we'll see if it, if it becomes more of a theme. One real quick, I, I, before we get to this weekend, uh, uh, Matt Zenitz, who does a great job covering uh, Alabama, Alabama football, broke some news uh, with BYU. The tight end, Matt Bushman, who was a senior, was expected to be one of the top seniors at the mm-hmm. position here this fall. Um, he got injured in preseason camp. And rather than go back to school next year, or take a medical redshirt this year, he is actually going to enter the 2021 NFL draft so real quickly um ben i know that you did him a couple years last or a couple mm-hmm. games last year uh just give, give us a quick reminder uh, on what the nfl will be getting in matt bushman yeah really long productive player six five two forty actually played baseball at byu as well for a couple of years uh but he led the high school tight ends and receiving when he came out. He was a Phil Steele preseason first-team All-American, the independent before the injury. Really good numbers each year at BYU. 500 receiving yards, 500 receiving yards again, 688 last year. He's a tall, long target. Um, and I want to say he's – I'm trying to think of a good kind of comp comparison. He's in the Dallas Goddard type of, you know, uh, size, strength, physicality uh, type of role there. But that huge freshman year really, you know, put himself on the radar and just uh, some injuries last year into this year. Wish we could see him over with Zach Wilson. That offense mm. seems like it's a lot of fun. Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, watching Zach Wilson at BYU is becoming my favorite like Saturday night tradition until the Pac-12 comes back uh, this week. Is uh, you know ten thirty after all the b- other games end, it's like oh BYU's starting up. Let me w- watch that. Watch that. Watch Zach Wilson do some work here uh, for a couple quarters before I go to bed. Um, all right, let's get now into uh, this weekend's action, guys, and uh, we'll get to our first with our game ball standout players from the weekend. Uh, I'll kick things off, and Ben, you asked, you know, did we have any takeaways from that Clemson BC game? Uh, my game ball is going to go to the running back Travis Etienne, who uh, became the all-time leading rusher in ACC history. Uh, also gets the game-winning touchdown uh, after he sets that record. But I'll tell you guys what. Uh, most of his damage in this game was done in the passing game through the air. And not just that, he also took a kick return on the opening kick of the second half, brought that back to midfield. The, you know, Clemson was down by two scores at the time. I thought he gave that sideline a bunch of juice with that kick return. So uh, Travis Etienne kind of showing off his versatility in this game. Goes for 84 yards, just over four yards of carry on the ground, 140 yards, led the team in receiving in this game, and a touchdown through the air as well. So uh, you look at Travis Etienne, to me, he gets my game ball here for this week with what he did against Boston College, helping leading them back in the comeback. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Second game this year with uh, double-digit targets. I love how they're featuring them in the past game this season. What about the fumble? I mean, that that didn't... Well, no, the fumble. So, like, I I looked at that, and after watching all the replays, I felt like that was more on the exchange. Because they did have a fumble. It was in the, the, I believe it was late first quarter, early second quarter, uh, down on the goal line. That he, I don't, he never had full possession of the ball. And so to me, okay. like, uh, I'm going to look at that one as uh, that one being more on DJ. Uh, oh, well, we'll get to him in a little bit. But DJ, get, <laughs> DJ gets the fumble. I got to like mentally prepare myself before I just jump in. Uh, but I, to me, I'm putting that more on the exchange as opposed to on Travis. Uh, well, I'll tell you this real quickly. Ben, you and, you and I have had a lot of conversations offline. And I've, I've mentioned it here. I have not always been the biggest fan of ETN going back over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think that there's a little bit of like uh, run to daylight with him, almost like a Saquon Barkley where uh, you know, he'll go for the, he'll have like that one big play every game. And then after that, you know, he might have like, he might average like two yards a rush. 
I'll tell you what, watching film of him over the weekend and watching three, four games, he's really impressed me this season. You know, I think that he's playing through contact at a much higher rate. Uh, he looks more decisive downhill. I, I agree with you. They're starting to future, feature him more in the past game. What's been fun is, I mean, he was terrible catching the football early in his career. I remember watching him as a sophomore. Uh, you know, he had hands for fe- or he had feet for hands, uh, just could not secure the football through the air. And then last year, they made more of a point, more screens, more throws to the flat. This year, you're seeing more wheel routes. You're seeing more of him flexed out wide and running go routes down the sideline and uh, the quarterback showing faith in him. Um, I've, I've really liked most of what I've seen Travis Etienne this year more so than all the other game, all the other years that I have watched him so far uh, watching Clemson. So it's, that's not like, oh, man, like Frank going out on a limb for Travis Etienne, um, but I'm definitely coming a little bit more around because I, I would say I was probably low man on the totem pole for Travis Etienne uh, coming into this weekend. Yeah, he, he's played well. And I mean, the only reason I brought up that fumble is because it's his third straight game with a fumble. Yep. And so th- that's something he needs to clean up. But no, no I mean, he's he, he's been fantastic this year. There, there's no doubt about it. Uyunglele uh, is uh, the quarterback. <laughs> DJ Uyunglele uh, was that uh, to me that on the exchange. I think he's got to, uh, you know, they, they just got to clean some things up there. All right, Dane, uh, who is your uh, game ball here this weekend? So I went with uh, Texas edge defender, Joseph Osai. Yep. Uh, w- what a showing uh, on Saturday as the Longhorns upset Oklahoma State in overtime. He finished with 12 tackles, six tackles for loss, three sacks, a forced fumble. He had a walk-off sack in overtime uh, chasing down Spencer Sanders uh, to end the game. And he beat uh, right tackle Tevin Jenkins on that play, a player who some scouts think is second or third round pick. So I included Osai in my surprise first rounder article a few weeks ago on the Athletic, and he hasn't looked make me he hasn't made me look foolish uh, with that prediction so far with the way he's played. He's so quick off the snap, natural bend, closes with burst. Uh, but I think the most impressive part of his game is just the effort. I mean, he is by far the most active defensive player that I've watched for 2021 draft so far. He just doesn't have an off switch. He plays so hard every snap. Uh, I think there's a lot of Justin Houston uh, to his ability to win off the edge. So he is a legit game wrecker at the college level. He plays through contact so well. He gets stuck on his pass rushes, whether he gets belly to belly or maybe misses a hand swipe and just keeps playing and kind of clawing through. He plays through contact really well. Just glad to see him in that true defensive end role. Yep. Last mm-hmm. year on first and second down, he beat off ball at 6'4", 255. He just looks so out of place, looking like he's uh, really carved out a true fit there at defensive end. That's what I was most excited to see, what he would look like in this new scheme. You know, it, it was... He was like a Dante Hightower in the middle of that defense last year, but yeah. more so out of place. And now just seeing him be able to come off the edge, pin his ears back, play after play. Uh, I'm excited to dive into the film here this year um, from Joseph Osai. Uh, ben, I know you want to stay in the trenches with another edge rusher here. Who's your game ball? Yeah, you know, I was expecting a big season from Dalen Hayes at another game. He's a little slow to start, but a couple of massive weeks, uh, including uh, this past weekend uh, against Georgia Tech. He had five pressures, two sacks, and a variety of rushes, a bunch of high side rushes where he uh, got that high side corner, Ben flattened and absolutely smoked the quarterback, one off his blind side, one right in his face. And then a three-tech mug alignment where he's standing up against the guard, an interior spin move, which you don't see a whole lot, wickedly fast, and got the on that play as well too he's a redshirt senior he missed almost all last year with a shoulder injury what came in with the seniors in that class of Khalid Kareem and Julian Aquar who are off to the NFL as soon as he got injured injured in September last year he said you know what I'm coming back and it's just nice to see him kind of picking this up and uh you know really hitting his stride halfway through the season here this Notre Dame team is really gaining steam on both sides of the ball and it seems like they're due for this showdown with Clemson Hmm. Uh, he's a guy I've not studied that that Notre Dame defensive line uh, they've got a number of prospects that I know people are really really excited about um, guys let's get to the next category here our one play takeaway Dane I'll let you kick things off uh, who is your one play that you're kind of taking away here from uh, this weekend yeah, Missouri had no answer for Kadarius Tony uh, on Saturday finished with three touchdowns um, I think the most impressive um, of which was the uh, just a simple tunnel screen uh, where he just broke multiple tackles including linebacker Nick Bolton uh, one of, if not the best tackler uh, in the country. He's just, Tony's so elusive because of his quickness, uh, his cuts. It looks like he has rubber ankles with the way he can just stop and redirect. It's crazy. Uh, also has some body power to him. It doesn't look like he he does, but he, he does not allow contact to just take him off his feet. So there are some character stuff there, some medical stuff there. 
Um, other questions about usage. So, you know, the interviews are going to be important. The medical evaluation will be important. And then a team has to be convinced that they have a role for them on their offense, probably ideally suited for the slot. So just a very unique player who has a lot of talent to be drafted high. And I don't think it's, it's, uh, something to overlook does a lot of his damage over the middle of the field, just like that tunnel screen running right into the teeth of the defense. He is fearless over the middle, like breaking a tackle of Nick Bolton, who's one of the more feared linebackers in the country, but also goes back to his pedigree as a high school wildcat quarterback, a lot of between the tackles running at, in that small frame. He is a tough, fearless player in that five, 10, 190 pound package that he is a much more physical and fearless player than I think he's going to get lumped into being a slot receiver or scat back or whatever you want to call him. And that scheme yeah. that they ran on that vertical route for a touchdown this past week, that was a wicked route. Like, I mean, it just exploded out of that break. It was a good concept, but uh, really kind of put his speed and quickness on display as well. Uh, uh, he, he's really fearless. No, just real quick on uh, with Tony. He's really fearless, like Ben pointed out. Yep. And that's kind of – it's like a double-edged sword because you do worry about – that's something that Scott's have mentioned to me about the durability because he will not – he refuses to go down. He will bounce off uh, contact, and he just – he is physical for a guy that size, and so you do worry about his body holding up. Ben, who's uh, your one play takeaway? Because I know that the, you had some options here, but I'm excited to get your uh, your, your biggest takeaway here. Yeah, you know, I was deciding between a couple guys. Deami Brown had a bunch of big plays in their loss mm-hmm. to Virginia, a couple of nice plays down the field. Uh, you know, Davion Nixon at Iowa, this defensive tackle, had four sacks. But there's another guy that had four sacks. We all know Charles Snowden, the big, long, outside linebacker defensive end at Virginia, 6'6", you know, 240 pounds. He looks like Brian Burns or Deion Jordan out there. He had four sacks over the weekend in their win against North Carolina. But the context is always important. How did he get those sacks? Three of them, he was completely unblocked. One was a zone read off play action. One they were trying to boot to his side, and he just pursued it out to the flat. The range, the explosive speed, the length, him chasing quarterbacks from sideline to sideline, really interesting athlete. However, I don't know if he has true pass rush ability. But I think there's a place for him in the NFL. It just needs to be in the right scheme. So he had the four sacks, impressive game, certainly. But I think the context and how he generated those sacks was important. Interesting. Uh, and he's a really interesting player, too, just in terms of the skill set and the projection. Um, I'll go with a, a guy here that I almost gave my game ball to, and that's uh, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. We're, we talk about him almost every week. Four touchdowns this week, guys, against Mississippi State. Uh, the play that stood out to me, though, the second one of the day, and that made it 17 nothing late in the first quarter against Mississippi State. Number one, it was a great route from Devontae Smith. It was a corner post route. You saw the, the subtlety at the top of the stem, the ability to kind of sell the corner, then break to the post. Great route. Double moves are designed to win, but you still really, really good route. Number two, great ball from Mac Jones. I mean, right up the shoot again. And Mac Jones was really good again in this game. I mean, you look not just uh, obviously the box score was good, but even just the placement on some of these throws in the deep and intermediate intermediate parts of the field. I thought that Mac Jones had another really impressive day. I'm excited to do a deep dive on him and really watch him on film. And then the third element to this was the pass pro from Najee Harris. Ben, I know that this, this is a play that would really stand out to you. Um, they, they ran a cross-dog blitz, Mississippi State. He did a great job working with the center on passing off the two linebackers crossing in the hole, was able to pick up the free, the free man, keep Mac Jones clean. He's able to deliver the ball downfield to Devontae Smith. There was a thing of beauty. So uh, between the, the Smith route, the throw from Jones, and then the block from Harris, uh, that was one play for sure that really stood out to me uh, from this game. You know, it's funny you went with that. I don't even know if you remember two years ago, my one-play takeaway was Damian Harris picking up A-gap pressures from Mississippi State, keeping Jalen Hurts clean to, uh, you know, I think it was a fourth quarter drive they were behind, but very similar type of scenario there. I don't remember that. So let's, uh, we'll, have to go, we'll have to go back. We'll go back to the tape there uh, and see if we can pull that one up. Uh, guys, let's go to our uh, down the road freak shows. And uh, we've already mentioned them a couple of times. So I'll bring them up. I'll kick things off here with Clemson quarterback, DJ Uyangalale, the six foot four, 250 pound true freshman from California. Look, we were all excited to see what he would look like with Trevor Lawrence on the sideline. And uh, look, Uyangalale did not disappoint. Poison the pocket. A little bit shaky. He was kind of running around a little bit. You see him drop his eyes. 
but this guy's got an absolute hose. He has got a cannon for an arm. He made some layered throws, uh, meaning like over the corner, under the safety, along the sideline. He can make every throw in the book, and I thought he was really impressive from an arm talent standpoint in this game. Then they go into the locker room, down by two scores, as I mentioned. Uh, I know the defense pitched a shutout in the second half, so a lot of credit uh, to them. But give a lot of credit to Uyangalale for uh, coming in in his first start. You know, tough situation. BC comes out. They punch him in the mouth. You get the turnover. But he still finds a way to get them back into this game. He runs in for a touchdown. That kind of brought some juice into the stadium. Uh, He finishes 30 of 41, 342 yards. Two touchdowns. I mentioned the 30-yard rushing touchdown. That came on fourth and one. So, uh, Uyangalale, really impressive debut. I know he's gotten some mop-up duty here and there mm-hmm. so far this season, but uh, really, really impressive stuff from the true freshman. Yeah, he has like a Dante Culpepper type of profile with his size. He's got some <clears throat> loose athleticism, huge arm, obviously. Actually, this is the first time I've seen him since – the oh, Netflix no. series QB1. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> series, but he wasn't featured on it, Fran. He was actually a sophomore backup to Real Mitchell at St. John Bosco out in California. Really? Real had some trouble some weeks, so this sophomore out of nowhere had to come in and save the team. It was really impressive. Where is Real Mitchell now? He went to Iowa State and immediately got moved to like running back or receiver and really huh. haven't heard from him since, so I don't know where he is. Interesting. I, I like the Culpepper comp, too. I think he, he might be a little bit more explosive as an athlete than Culpepper. He, yeah, he, but that's that's the type yeah. of body we're, we're talking about here. He, he is a good-looking kid. There's he, a bunch of uh, impressive performances from guys not eligible. I, yeah. I, it, it pained me not to go with Jalen Weidermeyer at Texas A&M, yep. a big 6'5", 250 athletic tight end, or Ricky White, the uh, Michigan State freshman receiver, 8 for 8, 196 yards, touchdown, and their big win over Michigan. But I got to go with this Purdue receiver, David Bell, true yep. Sophomore, 122 yards and a touchdown week one against Illinois. What did he do yesterday? 121 yards, three touchdowns against Iowa. Actually flipped those. It was Iowa last week, Illinois this past weekend. But long story short, back-to-back 120-yard receiving games. He was Big Ten freshman of the year last year. Guys, I am just dying to see him play with Rondell Moore. Because these are guys that have been just missing each other like ships in the night with the injuries of Rondell not being healthy and on the field. But once they get active, David Bell, Rondell Moore, a great one-two punch at receiver. And David Bell is just a guy I don't think is really in the national conversation yet, but will be there once he uh, gets eligible next year. Dane, who is, uh, who is yours here? Uh, you know, I thought about maybe going with the uh, the little uh, Tiger Vailoa to his brother, who yep. put up a pretty good showing uh, at Maryland to knock off Minnesota. What was Zach Harrison though? Uh, the edge defender at Ohio State, not not having Chase Young out there, it's been pretty obvious uh, for the Buckeyes, uh, which you know to be expected. Chase Young is a special player, but I think one of the big questions was, did Ohio State have someone ready to step up and kind of fill maybe not necessarily a Chase Young role, but someone who could be a consistent pass rush? Uh, force off the edge and Harrison he's shown flashes being able to do that and he did so again Saturday night against Penn State uh, when he reached the pocket and there's the one play where he uh, on on the the zone read he reached instead of waiting and seeing what the quarterback was going to do either hand it off or uh, you know tuck it run himself he just wrapped both of them up uh, both players to the ground showed off that length that power at 6'6 265 pounds He's a really talented player who, you know, hopefully we'll see a little bit more development from him this season as a, as a true sophomore year. I mean, this is a lot to to put on a guy, but, they, you know, Ohio State goes from Bosa to Bosa to Chase Young. I mean, we're, we're not talking that caliber at this point, right? Is that That's too right. early to say. Yeah, too early to say that, but he's still a highly recruited player who has the size, the the body, the movement skills, the power, just needs to put it all together. Those other guys, Bosa and Young, Bosa's, and Chase Young were so uh, technically sound for young players with their pass rush sequence. Harrison's not that yet, but you know they've got the best defensive line coach in college football uh, in Columbus. So uh, hopefully we see more development this year. All right, well, let's stay uh, in the trenches here for our film room recap. Ben, I'll let you kick things off. I know you've got an edge rusher from the SEC that you uh, have put some work in on this uh, this past week. Yeah, I had to dig into this kid, uh, Brenton Cox Jr. at Florida. He was a Georgia transfer, was the number two defensive end in the class behind Xavier Thomas, who went over there to Clemson. Uh, had some off-the-field issues at Georgia, got dismissed from the team. 
uh, I guess on paper, but really interesting athlete that's starting to pick up some steam on that Florida defensive front. He's a twitched up, rocked up defensive end. He's about 6'3", 6'4", about 255, explosive player, really good pursuit, burst. He works in uh, spin moves and long arm moves, bully tight ends at the point of attack. His hands are always tight, firm, violent. He's just a guy that makes you kind of sit up in your chair because everything is explosive. Everything is violent from his first step, from his hand usage, from the way he impacts uh, offensive ball carriers. When he tackles them, they go backwards and he finishes them into the turf. They're starting to work in some unique alignments on third down too, lining them up at three tech or having them mugged in the B gap there to do some stunts and twists. But he's a really productive player. Just the transfer issue, the off the field stuff. He's only a redshirt sophomore. So technically eligible, but a very young player. Uh, he just showed up this past week on our good buddy Mike Ranner at PFF's new uh, big board. Pretty highly touted there. I think he was uh, somewhere in the 40s. So he's a guy that's getting some love nationally. Uh, it's a little young still, hmm. but he's a guy that has the tools uh, and they stand out on tape anytime you put on that Florida defense. It's a bunch of, they got a bunch of guys in that front seven again to, to, yeah. to kind of dig through. Um, so we'll go from a power five school to a group of five school. I want to talk about Houston pass rusher Peyton Turner. Now, I was first turned on to him just last week Jim Nagy from the senior bowl had tweeted about him and said he was the biggest riser so far in 2020 that through the first few games he has gone from an undrafted free agent in the eyes of NFL scouts to a day two prospect and to me when Jim says something like that about a guy that carries weight because obviously he's talking with people all around the NFL so I think you look at Peyton Turner I watched a couple of games um, this from this season so far I watched the Tulane game and the BYU game he's 6'6 270 pounds. He's got a thick, long frame. He's got an extremely high motor, and he goes full bore in a hurry. For a guy that big, he actually corners pretty well. He can flatten out and turn. He's not going to be uh, Vic Beasley coming off the corner, but I think he's got uh, that ability to win the edge. He gains ground with that first step, and he's certainly got power to be able to collapse the pocket uh, off the corner as well. What impressed me... He, I wouldn't say that he's got a one go-to move that I'm like, oh, man, he's, re- he's got this one down. That he's going to be able to use this right away. But he's got a really wide array of pass rush moves, like a long list of moves that I've seen him use on tape. And none of them were they were like, oh, man, like that was a really bad swim move, a really bad spin move. Like, I mean, you saw a double hand swipe. You saw long arms, cross chops, uh, you know, club rips, push pulls, swimming inside, swimming outside. He can go speed to power, like I mentioned. So, um, you know, he, he can get a little bit deep in the pocket sometimes. I'd like to see him counter a little bit faster. And like I said, he doesn't have that one go-to move yet. Um, but this is a guy I think that's got a lot of uh, potential – moving forward he kind of reminded me of a like a I would say it was like a floor like a William Golston type player who has turned into a solid starter uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks maybe even like a Preston Smith um, and he's got so he stands up at times for Houston a lot of the times uh, in their base defense so I think when you look at Peyton Turner it's a really intriguing player and I, I'm glad that Jim kind of brought him to the forefront uh, and I was able to watch him over the over the weekend and I, I came away pretty impressed I kind of liked what I saw think he could be a, a top 100 guy like uh, you know Jim alluded to I, th- I think he could work his way there. Uh, my, my guess is right now he's probably not there, but I think he could work his way there because 6'6", 270, um, you know, and I, I, think he's, I don't think he's going to be a slouch when he, when he does his athletic testing. Uh, and if he keeps producing the way he is, I, I think he's got a shot. I buzzed through a couple of games too. I feel like some of his best plays, he was beating up on tight ends. He's a little stiff, kind of a limited athlete to be out there on the edge. So he's a guy that I'll probably want to slide in inside or play him at five tech in like an odd front somewhere. Yeah, William Golson, I think, is a great comp. But he's been a pretty limited athlete in his time in the NFL. Stout, sturdy player, broad, big, powerful, but just has lacked the twitch, has really lacked the playmaking ability. But William Golson's hung in the NFL now for six, seven years. And, and he's been a starter. He's been a reliable player. Yeah. Just never a guy you were really coveting with like, a, oh, yeah, he's a good playmaker. So yep. I view that, you know, Turner the same way. But being down there in Houston, you know, group of five, I'm hoping he really starts to bully, uh, you know, some of that competition. We talk every spring about guys that have like high floors and then potentially high ceilings, right? And that's really that, that gives you that kind of safe uh, gamble that, you know, that gives you that confidence. I feel like he's got that high floor to be a William Golston. I'm interested to see, you know, what's that ceiling like, uh, you know, with this kid. I'm interested to do a little bit more work. Uh, Dane, take us home here with a guy that we all know and, uh, and love in terms of uh, his skill set and his film study. What did you see when you watched Alabama wide receiver Jalen Waddell? I guess for potentially the last time, uh, kind of put his eve out of bed? Yeah, I finished his eval um, and just talking to people, watching the film. I mean, just such an impressive player. Um, I, 
first of all, just talking to people, it sounds like he's one of the most popular players on the team. I mean, he, he was at the game on Saturday against Mississippi State. Uh, his teammates love him. The coaches love him. I mean, Nick Saban comparing him to Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I mean, just, it, you know, it's kind of ridiculous to hear those names out of Nick Saban's mouth, uh, but tells you what kind of respect that he has uh, for Jalen Waddell. And then, of course, the film is just – uh, he, he, the big question was, does he have the polish that's needed to be an early first round pick? And I think we saw that this year. Uh, I, I think when you, you, you really break down his routes and you know, that there's no question the concepts and the scheme helped get him open, but his acceleration out of his breaks, um, his ability to go up and attack the football. Uh, he just looked like a much more seasoned player this year. And I know it was only four games, but still, I think it was enough where uh, this guy's going to go very early, just like we we thought all along. The athleticism is what carries him. But I, I think him showing development and growth as a receiver uh, is certainly going to be in his favor as well. So really, it just comes down to the medicals uh, with Jalen Waddell. I'm really interested to see how the NFL views him on whether he's that big play down the field type of threat for double moves, horizontal stretching, get him in space. Like Fran and Dane, I'd love to know third and three in the NFL. Can you throw him a slant to win against man coverage? I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think you can. And I think that's how teams are going to view him just kind of similar how they viewed uh, rugs. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, he's going to get some con or some, uh, criticism here because he doesn't have you know that that big resume he doesn't have a season over a thousand yards if you break down uh his career production with jamar chase's career production it's almost identical i mean it's kind of crazy how similar it is with catches and yards and uh touchdowns and so Jalen waddle uh, over his career 50 over 52 percent of his uh yards coming after the catch uh, just a, a really, really impressive yak type of playmaker. Like Fran, like a, a Deshaun Jacksons of the NFL, Hollywood Browns of the NFL. They aren't getting slants on third and three, but they're good players, productive players. Do you see him more as a guy to beat man coverage? Do you see him as just the big play guy down the field and the yards after catch like he's used at Alabama? I mean, you know, to me, the, the three uh, routes that I wrote down that I was like, all right, like this is where I'm, I'm hanging my hat with Jalen Waddell. Uh, certainly the screen, get them, get them the ball fast. And then after that, it was deep crossing routes and post routes. Like I want him working in space, getting down the field and work vertically. I haven't studied the 2020 film yet. And hey, Dane, maybe you could speak to this. I didn't see really any reps of him against press coverage last year when I did him in 2019. Um, you know, it's just, I, I want to be able to see him in more of that role. I don't know that we necessarily got that this year, but uh, look at the end of the day, I mean, we've seen John Ross go top 10, right? We've, we've seen these kinds of players uh, go a little bit higher than expected. It's a big play league. You got to make them. You got to prevent them, right, Ben? <laughs> it's all about, uh, you know, the, the long ball. And I think with Jalen Waddell, uh, he has proven that he can be that big play guy. It's a lot of RPOs at Bama, but not a big quick mm -hmm. game offense. You know, it's a lot no. of shot plays, play action stuff. Like you just said, the deep crossers, the posts. Yep. I'm imagining most of those are probably off play action. Just wondering, where does that get you in the NFL? Yes, we've seen the John, you know, the John Rosses go high. I'm sure the Ravens are more than happy with Holly, Hollywood Brown as a first-round pick. So there's a place for that player. Even Calvin Ridley. I'm sure the Falcons are okay with his production being the down-the-field yeah. guy. But if they don't win for you on third and short, is that okay? Can somebody else do that in your receiver room? I think it's important to kind of differentiate how you're used, what you're being asked. It's like the Panthers and DJ Moore. You know, yep. can he win the underneath stuff? Probably not. But there's a place for him in the offense. And I think and the, the like, people in Carolina would have said that about Robbie Anderson coming into this year. Oh, he's just a deep threat guy. He's just a deep threat guy with the New York Jets. What do they do? They've turned him into one of the most secure possession receivers in, in the NFL this year with how they're using him in that offense. Yeah, and I think if you look at Henry Ruggs last year, uh, it'll be a similar conversation about how do you best use him. Um, I think at the end of the day, teams are going to look at him and say, maybe this could be a, our version of a Tyree Kill, a guy that we can move around the offense and is going to give us those big plays. And, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, that's going to be worth a, a, a first-round pick somewhere in the top half. So without question, Jalen Waddell, one of the scariest players in this NFL draft, if he were to come out, but one of the scariest players in the country because of that playmaking ability. Well, we're going to talk about scary players here in this next segment. We're going to go on the clock. Let's welcome in Chris McPherson. Let's talk about the scariest defensive players in this NFL draft. On the clock. 
All right, guys, excited to get things going here with another segment of On the Clock as we welcome Chris McPherson to the show. C-Mac, uh, it's a tight one here, guys. Dane's got three wins. Ben's got three wins. I've got two wins. We'll see if I can uh, really tie this thing up. And I wanted to go with a kind of a Halloween theme this week because I was coming up with the idea. It was Halloween night. I was like, all right, who, who is the scariest defensive player in the draft. See, Mac, I thought this would be uh, right up your alley. I'm sure you, you, got, you got the kids, you got the, the, the little guys are, you know, you got trick or treating, but we'll go with, uh, with this for this week's category. I like it. I like it. You know, you, I, I think you, you're really the one who's enjoying this. Don't, don't put this all on me, <laughs> Fran. Come on now. You're the one trying to get into the spirit as well. So That's this very is going to be good. You know, I just want to know who am I going to disappoint this week? You know, you're going to disappoint two of us. And, you know, I mean, look, it's uh, that's the that's the nature of the beast uh, at this point. But I'll kick things off here. I did have first pick. Dane had second pick. Ben rounds us out uh, with the third pick after the win last week. So, uh, look, for mine, this was relatively simple. Uh, I did come down to a couple different guys I thought about. But ultimately, I went with really one of the biggest freak athletes in this entire draft. And that's Micah Parsons, the Penn State linebacker. C-Mac. Six foot three, 245 pounds, but this guy runs in the low four fours. He's going to jump out of the gym. He is an absolute locomotive in the open field. Really just a jaw-droppingly explosive, powerful athlete. And they knew it from day one. Like, I remember talking to these guys at the Senior Bowl, talking to guys like, you know, Penn State linebacker Cam Brown and, uh, you know, other Nittany Lions over the years. And I'm like, hey, like, you know, what's the deal with this Micah Parsons? And I'm like, he is just a freak athlete, like find the lab that he was built in was what Cam Brown told me. And, you know, I think when you look at Micah Parsons and his skill set, if he hits you square in the hole, you are going backwards every single time. And C-Mac, like, I know you're out of the stage of like diapers, but I think about this, like, uh, you know, dealing with like toddlers and stuff, you know, like, you know, when you think you might smell something, it's like, all right, like diaper check, you lift the kid up. When Micah Parsons is coming in the hole, I just want to like pause the film, pick the running back up and say like, all right, diaper check. Like, you're all right. Like you got anything going on because he is terrifying coming downhill. And then also just kind of like taking a step back, like big picture. He's also a little bit scary for the evaluator because he is a little bit raw. There's a little bit of upside here. There's a lot of pro- uh, projection here because C-Mac, he was a defensive end. He was a pass rusher in high school, but he was such a freak athlete that coming to the college level, they're like, we want to put you in space. We want you to be a linebacker. So this guy who once had 13 and a half sacks in one game in high school, now he's going to play the linebacker position. He's only been doing it for a couple of years. He is a, a just an absolute joy to watch if you just want to watch a physical marvel. Micah Parsons, to me, the most terrifying defensive player in this draft because of what he is from a pure physical specimen standpoint. Shame he's not playing this year. I know. So only- that, that, is, that is the disappointing part. But he is. I mean, when you're talking like who, who scares you the most as opposing offensive player, to me, it's Micah Parsons. Uh, uh, what high school did he go to where you get 13 and a half sacks in the game? I'm like he, trying to think of. Oh yeah, actually, I actually take that back. It wasn't even 13 and a half. It was 18 and a half. 18 and a half sacks. <laughs> at, and that was at Central Dauphin High School, um, you know, which was not, not too far. He also went to Harrisburg High School. That's where he finished his career. So two different high schools. But uh, right in the area, right here the, in Ross Tucker's backyard. All right, Ben, uh, you're being a little quiet there in the background. Just lurking? He's a nice, productive player, you know. He's nothing to be too intimidated about. He's got a nice smile. He's a good kid on the field, off the field. <laughs> I think any NFL team would be excited to plug him into their locker room, represented Penn State at the media day. He's a darling out there. You know, I'm excited to see him on All Sundays. Right. Dana. Yeah. And he's freaky, but he, I think he was number 13 on Bruce Elbin's freak list, so – yeah, there were 12 freakier players in front of him. Scare, we're going for scariest player. We're Let's scary. be fair. We're not well, doing I know, freakiest. I know. I know. You, you did say freaky, though, so I just wanted to say you know, he is freaky, but maybe not the freakiest. So just putting that out there, too. C-Mac, for a comparison, there were, you know, see, uh, as a true freshman, Ross Tucker told me he reminded him of LeVar Arrington, a former teammate oh, wow. who was the second overall pick. For Ross to throw that out there, I thought was something. And then Bruce Feldman made the comparison. Guys in the building say he's just like Saquon, another former number number two overall pick, just in terms of the, the type of athlete, that explosive, physical, powerful presence that he is. C-Mac, just to spin it to comic book land, you know, he's like Captain America. You know, he's a good player. He's strong. He's fast. He's productive. But you know, he looks at Captain America and is afraid of Captain America. You know, he, you know, he represents the whole group. He's got the good smile. He's all American. You know, he's a productive guy. He's getting the job done out there. But are you afraid of him and the collective lineup? I don't know about that. Dude, I, I would love for you to say that to his face. That's my, that's my thing. Then. <laughs> <laughs> he knows where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dane, who's uh, who's your pick here? 
All right. So uh, first of all, your, your kids aren't in the room with you, right, C-Mac? No, I, I just I, I want to make sure because I don't want to be responsible for any nightmares or anything like that in your house uh, after talking about Michigan's quitty pay. Uh, pay is the highest ranked senior prospect in this draft. 6'3", 271 pounds, one of the fiercest pass rushers in college football. Not only does he have size and power, he was number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list, 457 40-yard dash. Uh, 34 inches in the vert. The most alarming number, 6373 cone, which is ridiculous for a defensive end. To put that number in perspective, corner Patrick Peterson, when he's coming out of LSU, had one of the freakiest three cones we've ever seen at 658. So if he's able to get anything close to that, let alone below it, uh, it just, uh, as 50 pounds heavier, just a really impressive thing to look out for. And then that not only does he have the numbers testing wise, but it translates to the game. Michigan has played two games so far this season. According to Sports Info Solutions, he's accounted for 16 pressures. He just took over that fourth quarter against Minnesota. The blockers had no answer for him. And then the other factor with Pay, and this might be the most important factor to consider here, is the competitive drive. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see Tom Rinaldi's piece on College Game Day about Pay and. Uh, his unique backstory, but you know, his mom grew up in war-torn uh, Liberia, destroyed her family. She was forced to flee to the U.S. And this is when Quiddy was very young, like a year old. They settled in Rhode Island, not knowing any English or anything like that. She worked multiple jobs, sent him to a private school because of the football program. And he promised her she wouldn't have to pay for college. He followed through on that promise. And now his promise is he's not going to, you know, he he wants to make sure he takes care of her the rest of uh, of her life. And so he just breaks down in tears talking about uh, what his mom has done for him and how he wants to repay that. So when you talk about the power, the freaky athleticism, the on-field production, and then you factor in how driven and competitive this guy is, uh, that is a scary player to line up against. I like it. Very just, nicely done. I can't believe that you're relying on the Tom Rinaldi, which was a great piece, and you're relying <laughs> on the, to- the Tom Rinaldi tearjerker to try and sway the opinion of the voter. You tell that me is, that it, 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 he, I watched that, and I'm like, this guy is not going to let me down. And I ran down the street. <laughs> I ran back. I mean, he, he it pumped me up. <laughs> no, nothing scarier than a three-cone drill, though. I mean, like, you know, like there's nothing like gets me like all worried. It's like, oh, man, there's a yeah, three-cone well, drill. If you're an offensive right. tackle, you're like, shoot, I got to protect. <laughs> I got to protect the corner. He could go right through me. I, I, he could beat me in so many different ways. Oh, good stuff there, Ben. Well, when we're looking for the scariest player in college football, I'm going right to the biggest and the baddest. And this guy came to campus as a true freshman at 6'3", 378. 378 pounds. Unfortunately, he's down to 346, so he's trimmed up a little bit. And that's LSU nose tackle Tyler Shelvin, one of the most stout interior defensive tackles in the country, massive player. He's big. He's ugly. He's the first off the bus type of guy. He's the tone setter. And just as a true freshman, go ahead and put on the punt return tape. He's out on special teams. Why? Because he absolutely murders personal protectors with a 10-yard head start. He's got highlight plays of absolutely putting those guys out on their butt. But he's the biggest, strongest pound-for-pound player in college football. He's not quite the juggernaut. Who I think weighed in at 1,900 pounds and 9.5, a little bit under that um, from the comic book days. But he's a big guy. He's a bad guy. He's mean. He's nasty. He sets the tone. He's the scariest player in college football. He's the guy you want to take to the dark alley when you're alone with a flat tire. He's the guy you're calling first in the phone there, C-Mac. He's who you want. So who's the, who's the comic book comparison? He's the juggernaut right there. So he's not quite the same size. Juggernaut was 9'5", 1,900 pounds. So he's 6'3", 346, just a tick tick behind juggernaut there, but similar type of play profile, certainly. Dane, you're rolling your eyes. No, not rolling my eyes. I mean, Shelvin, he's <laughs> like the, the size is great, but I mean – it's kind of because he's got some lazy uh, trends. I mean, th- th- there have been a lot of whispers around that program how he just, you know, needs to be in shape, but he doesn't – won't take the time to do it. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if – he's heavy, but I'm not sure if I'm scared of that. What One and a half career sacks coming into the season. 
Yeah. yeah, the production should terrify you. You know, no question about it. You don't know what you're getting on the field, off the field, weight, good point. production. You know, you don't know what you're getting. So, you know, it, it's the a unpredictab- good point. unpredictability about it. You know, I know the draft rooms are, are terrified up and down of where to take this kid. Oh, geez. So go, going into this as an undecided voter, okay, bringing the election into it. A lot of good cases. Any closing arguments? Any last rallies, stands? I'm just going to say that I've got one of the craziest straight-line athletes who is extremely powerful and has only been playing the position for two years, and you know his best football is ahead of him. That's all i got to say. All right. So Tom Rinaldi. Tom Rinaldi. Tom Rinaldi. That that takes it out of the equation. We can just mute (laughs) Dane right there. Because he was was setting it up nicely and everything with the pressures and number one on the freak list. I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. You know how those Rinaldi pieces go. They're soft, special interests. They're going to go back home, show Quiddy Pay picking daisies for, you know, the the poor girl down down the street. But... You know, go right. look up Tyler Shelvin there. This guy didn't need a Halloween mask over the weekend, all right? <laughs> later he's later big, today. He's, he's bad, and he sets the tone. See, Mac, you're going to watch it later today, and you're going to regret not picking Quiddy Pay after you watch that piece later on. I he's going to be in tears. He's going to be crying. He's going to go call his kids and tell them he loves them. He's going to say, yeah, Quiddy Pay will not let you down. He is. <laughs> he, it, scare, it should scare you. <laughs> oh, love it there. But I'm not going to go with Pay. Uh uh, let's see. So who are we going now? We're going with Shelvin and Parsons here. Uh, you know, I like, you know, Fran using the diaper analogy about the little diaper check there in the alley. You know, the the size, speed profile, you know, is someone that uh, fits the, you know, when you talk about the toughest players in the NFL, we're talking about translating to the pro game. Usually it's going to be those linebackers when you think of over time. Think of Jeremiah Trotter in Philadelphia, of course, Ray Lewis in Baltimore all those years. You know, you don't have really those guys because usually it's, it's smaller guys who are thriving now at the NFL game. So uh, a little bit of a throwback here with Micah Parsons. So, Fran, you're going to get the win here. We're going to even it up. Even it up. Tie, tie ball game here nine weeks into, uh, into the segment. Really, really, uh, this is tight. I just, I'm gonna be honest; it's a little bit tighter than I thought. I thought, you know, one of us would kind of pull away here, uh, but I'll, t- I'll take the win. I'll, I'll thankfully take the win. This is good, you know, a little, little Halloween, post-Halloween theme here. So, you know, Beautiful. but I'll, I'll grab the leftover candy. I'll watch the Tom Rinaldi piece. I'll cry into my uh, Snickers bar, and uh, you know, have a good time. And then I'll wait for Tyler Shelvin to be mad at me for not picking him, and he'll come steal it from me. You so. did this to yourself, C Mac. Okay, that's fair enough. There you go. Trust me. Here's your forewarned. As soon as we leave, I regret the decision every week. So it's you know it's no different. It's gonna be like me eating like you know the ten different Kit Kats. So you know you gotta try the white chocolate, the dark chocolate, the regular kind. It's like afterwards you just regret it. And you're like I just should. Well, if the Eagles way. somehow end up with Tyler Shelvin after next year's draft, I'm making sure he knows where you are in the building. <laughs> Well, see back guys, this has been great. Really, uh, really appreciate you guys jumping on once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We'll talk to all three of you guys again soon. Before we wrap up this episode, it's really important to me one last time that I talk about voting. And depending on when you're listening to this, it's here. It's election day. And I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. Get out and vote. The lines might be long, but get out and vote. The weather might be bad. Get out and vote. Remember, the general election in 2016 was decided ultimately by just over 70,000 votes over the span of a couple of key states. And Pennsylvania, my home state, is one of those states. Just over 70,000 people. Now, I would say uh, normally that that is enough to fill a football stadium. But because of the current state of our country right now, I can't even paint that visual, right? So again, think of that number, just over 70,000. That's in the entire country. So if you think along those lines, if you see those crowds, you show up to vote, you get to the polling place and you see that there's There's a long line out the door, around the corner. Just know, no matter who you vote for, no matter what your political affiliation is, your vote matters because in these elections, it is razor thin. So obviously, like we talked about last week, stay safe, socially distance, wear your masks, but it is your right to vote. It is your right for your voice to be heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. 
All right, so let's wrap this show up with our draft mailbag. And as I said at the top of the show, best way to throw us your support is go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Uh, right him left a great question uh, saying he loved the discussion that we had about the two offensive tackles that were so diverse in terms of one not having the play strength but being more technically sound and then the other having the strength but being a little bit less developed with their technique. And I believe, uh, Will, you're talking about the conversation about Dylan Radins, the left tackle from North Dakota State, and Rayshon Slater from uh, – Northwestern. We had that conversation a couple of weeks ago here on the show. Um, so it made me wonder if you guys could add a segment where you take two prospects who lack something the other one has that you think if you were to kind of make them, meld them together, that it would make the perfect prospect. For instance, a corner who has strong cover skills but isn't a sound tackler, and then another who is strong against the run but needs development and coverage. So uh, I like that. Two weeks in a row that we're getting uh, segment ideas from all of you guys at home. I love it. Please keep that coming. And we'll, uh, I've definitely. I think this is something that we can definitely do moving forward, especially once we get into the spring and we start to talk about more and more of these players. I love this idea, um, but I will throw you one here uh, just for, for this segment. I was thinking about it. I was like, all right, who's, what's a position we can talk about? Let's talk about off-ball linebacker. And I think you look at Micah Parsons from Penn State, true junior, who uh, opted out, is not playing here in 2020. So you've only got really one full year as a starter. He was a backup as a true freshman. But this guy is a physical freak. He is huge. He runs like a deer. He hits like a locomotive. He is just a, a physical specimen at the position. He's great in man-to-man coverage. You line up and say, hey, guard that tight end. Guard that running back out of the backfield. Do your thing. This guy can do that uh, on command. And again, just an explosive athlete, both moving forward and moving in reverse. Then you pair him with a guy like Auburn senior linebacker K.J. Britt. Now, I just studied Britt over the weekend again, and I think when you look at K.J. Britt, uh, he's a big kid. He's strong. He's got some pop to him. He's instinctive. I like the way that he triggers downhill very quickly. I like his uh, keying diagnosability. He's just not – he's going to be a step slow, right? So I think that there's a role for that guy in the league. I think there are plenty of examples. Every team has that guy. And I think in, you know, in, in the NFL 10, 15 years ago, he's probably a, a first or second round pick. But I think in today's game, that might not be the case. Some teams kind of view, him that, view people that way, but not most. So I think when you look at K.J. Britt – you know, look, he's going to be a step slow. He's not going to be a guy that you want man to man. So I think if you take his his uh, you know his processor, right? You take his brain and you put him inside Micah Parsons. I think now you're you're really cooking with something here because Micah Parsons is a freak athlete. Like I said, you put his, you put his processing speed of, of KJ Britt inside the mind of Micah Parsons. I mean, you're talking about an instant blue-chip player, a guy that steps in and is one of the best linebackers in the NFL, which, by the way, Michael Parsons still might be able to do that uh, you know, from day one already just because of his physical tools. But uh, I think that would be a fun one, is if you could kind of Frankenstein there, uh, K.J. Britt with Micah Parsons, that would be a fun little combination. So great question there from you at home, Will. Really, really appreciate you going on to our uh, Apple Podcast page and leaving that review. That being said, I think that'll do it here for this early week version of the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will be back later this week. Excited to get things going as we get ready for another week of college football. We'll be back here later this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.